welcome to the Growing Hope podcast. Growing Hope is a charity providing free therapy for children and young people with additional needs in partnership with local churches across the UK. Growing Hope aims to grow hope for children, hope for families and hope in Jesus. This podcast provides short and easy to listen to practical tips for parents and carers supporting children and young people with additional needs. It's hosted by Dr. Naomi Graham, children's occupational therapist and founder and CEO of Growing Hope. Hello, I'm Naomi, a children's occupational therapist and the founder and CEO of Growing Hope. Today we're going to talk about eating and how to support children and young people with additional needs with their eating skills and their range of diets. When I'm working with children and young people, I often come across individuals who have difficulties with eating certain foods or being able to use their cutlery easily. This podcast isn't talking about eating disorders, but will focus on sensory-based eating difficulties, what these can mean for children and young people, and how to support improvements in eating skills. There are several basics to eating which are really important for all of us. One aspect of eating is that it's often social. One thing that I personally really enjoy is an excellent meal shared with friends. I'm missing that more than normal given the current situation, but I often find that it's around a meal table that you have the opportunity to connect with friends and family who you love. Using meal times as an opportunity to practice social skills can be a really helpful strategy. It may be that you don't often sit at the table to eat. Trying to have at least one meal a week sitting at a table and chatting can be helpful for the development of your child's social skills. Ideally, sitting at the table to eat every day is much better, not just for our social skills, but also for our digestion, posture and fine motor skills as well. Sharing a meal with our children can be a great way to help them develop their communication. This could be through taking it in turns to share the ketchup or the sauce or to talk about something that happens in their day. You can use this as an opportunity to share joy and delight in things that are really delicious or in something funny which happens at the table. It's okay if your child doesn't have language yet or is nonverbal, you can still share through your nonverbal communication. Sitting across the table from somebody is a good opportunity for practicing eye contact and if your child's at this level for practicing social questions such as, what have you enjoyed today? Sitting with good posture is one of the things that can be helpful for our eating. Good posture not only helps us with our digestion but it can help us with the way that we hold and manipulate our cutlery. You may find that your children's feet don't touch the floor at the table that you sit at to eat your meals. Where possible, you should always make sure that everyone's feet touch the floor when they're sitting at a table. You might be able to put a box or a stool under your child's feet to help with this, or use an adjustable chair such as a trip trap chair. Whenever we sit down or stand up, we rely on something called our base of support. If you draw a line around your feet at the point they touch the floor, that's your base of support. The larger your base of support, the easier it is for you to balance. So for example, if you stand on one leg, your base of support is very small, it's only around one foot, and that can make it hard to balance. If you stand with two feet shoulder width apart, you're giving yourself a reasonable base of support, which means that you can balance more easily. If I sit on a chair 
and the chair becomes the chair will then become part of my base of support. If I have my feet off the floor, it can be harder for me to use my core and tummy muscles to give me the stability that I need to use my hands. If my feet are on the floor, I have more support to do what I need to do. It's easier to engage that core. One of the things I often do when I'm talking about this on training courses is I see if everyone can write with their non-dominant hand a full sentence with their feet not touching the floor. It's always a funny moment which is full of lots of noise because people find it really difficult. You could give it a try later and you'll see what I mean. Simple things like posture and supporting our children with sitting can help them with participating at mealtimes. Good posture also really helps us with our fine motor skills because we have a much better base of support. One of the things that children and young people can struggle with in terms of eating is using their cutlery effectively. I often have families who come to clinic and talk about how their children tend to use their hands for eating. One type of cutlery which can be really helpful for enabling us to learn our cutlery skills is called caring cutlery. It comes in a junior and a senior size. It's ergonomically designed to help it feel comfortable when it's being held and it's easy uh, to control. The easiest way for us to control our cutlery is to place our index or pointy fingers along the shafts of the cutlery and to point them along our knife and down our fork. If you're using herring cutlery, it has handy dips in the handles which show you where to place your pointy finger. If you think it might be helpful for your child to have a cue about where they should place their fingers on their cutlery, you could use a sticker or a bit of nail varnish on one set of cutlery to help to remind them where they place their pointy finger. When we're using our knife and fork together, our knife should always be in our dominant hand. That's because that hand is the strongest and it's able to cut food up more easily. It's always good to remind children that they don't need to put too much pressure on their knife. If they use a sawing action, the special serrated part of their knife will do all the hard work for them. When I'm teaching children how to use cutlery, I often teach them to hold their fork like a tall soldier and still so that they can then control what they're cutting and then they can use their dominant hand to saw until the piece of food is cut. Always starting at the end of the food that their fork is so that they have the right amount to put in their mouth. They can then keep their finger where it is on their fork but turn it around to eat the piece of food that they've just cut. Practicing with play-doh or mashed potato, uh, soft kind of foods is a really good way to develop cutlery skills. So once you've done all the preparation for eating, then you can start to think about how you can have less stressful meal times with your children. I often hear stories of children who tend to put too much food in their mouth at once, who are often asking for more, looking for snacks after meal times. Of children who find it difficult to stay sitting at the table, of children who have very restricted diets and for sensory reasons will often refuse large amounts of food and limit themselves to a very small number of items, such as rice cakes, plain pasta and apples. Our three tips for this week are movement, munching and monster. We're going with an alliteration theme to try and keep these tips in your head again. We'll see if it works. <laughs> so first is movement, movement activities. If you listened to the sleep podcast last week, you will have heard about how important our sense of proprioception, 
our awareness of where our body is in space is for our ability to be calm and regulated when we're completing a task. If your children are finding it hard to stay sitting still at the table, movement activities will be really helpful. Perhaps you could introduce a song that you play before every mealtime, where you all do some jumping on the spot, some walking like a bear and stretching. Or you may need to do more intense movement activities, such as bouncing on a gym ball, doing an obstacle course, crawling through a tunnel a few times. Then not forgetting things like making sure your child's feet are touching the floor will help them with sustaining their sitting on their chair. Other movement that may help is through a cushion, such as a move and sit cushion. This is very hard to explain when I can't actually show you through a podcast, but it's a wedge-shaped, bobbly cushion made of similar material to a gimbal. It's filled with a bit of air so that you can move your body a bit whilst you're sitting on it. The bonus of having a wedge-shaped cushion is that it tips your pelvis forwards, which helps to prompt an upright sitting posture. Whenever I'm working with children in clinics, something I will always do before I ask a child to sit for a long time at the table is a movement activity. The more we move, the more our brain is able to get what we call to a just right level, to join in with whatever we're doing. So our second M is munching. Movement input doesn't just need to be through our whole body. Munching, a crunchy or a chewy snack, can be really helpful for our levels of regulation and then our ability to be aware of our mouth and to try new foods. If your child is tending to overfill their mouth or stuff food into their mouth or put other objects into their mouth, it's likely they'll struggle with their oral motor awareness. This means they do not get good feedback to their brain as to what their mouth is doing or when something is in their mouth. By overfilling their mouth or biting on something hard, children are getting sure feedback as to the fact that their mouth is full. If you find it hard to have an awareness of your mouth, then it can feel good to increase your awareness of it by doing things like that. So crunchy snacks and firm pressure around a child's mouth, like when you're wiping their face with a flannel, can be a really good way to help children get this input in a more kind of safe and healthy way. If we can munch a crunchy or chewy snack, such as a raw carrot, apple, celery, corn on the cob, a really chewy sweet, this can effectively help our mouths to wake up and to get ready for eating. Munching food that's chewy or crunchy is a really good strategy generally and can help your child be more just right. But particularly thinking about using this kind of food to start off mealtimes can really help if our children struggle with their oral motor awareness or if they're picky eaters. So finally, our final M is monster. Some parents who've been coming to Growing Hope Clinic or worked with an occupational therapist before may have already come across Monster. Monster is a plastic toy monster with flexible teeth who you can put food into if you don't want to eat it. One of the things about food refusal for sensory reasons is that it often comes from a sensory sensitivity or defensiveness. In general, most of the children that I see who have difficulties with food refusal are children who have autism. Because of their autism, these children can have, sometimes have rigid behaviours and anxieties around eating and trying new foods. This can exacerbate their restrictive diet because it can be hard to try something which is new. It's important to note that if children are finding foods difficult because of their textures or because of sensory sensitivities, 
any of the movement and munching activities that we've just talked about will be really helpful as they will help prepare their sensory systems for trying new foods. One way to support children with expanding their diet is to try and do it in a stress-free way as possible. The monster activity is one to try as a snack time away from meal times. It's also worth noting, I didn't mention this before, that keeping meal times limited to an amount of time like 20 minutes and as stress-free as possible in terms of not pushing children to try things but giving them the option if they'd like to can help with expanding children's diets generally. So the monster game involves everyone who is playing having a plate in front of them. The adult has pre-prepared four foods, two of which are safe and the child likes and two of which they would like the child to learn to try. This game is based upon the fact that we learn to tolerate and like foods through a hierarchy. We first need to tolerate being in the same room as the food, then being near it, then being able to touch it, then being able to touch our lips, then bite a small piece, chew a small piece and then swallow. The idea is that children learn to observe the different properties and textures of the foods so that they can become more comfortable with trying new foods. So for example, I might look at a brown breadstick, I might look at how long it is, I might listen to the crunch sound that it makes when I bite it. I might then look at an orange carrot stick, how long it is. I might try and listen to the crunch sound when I bite it. If a child I'm with does not want to crunch their carrot, I might ask them to kiss it goodbye and to feed it to the monster. If a child's able to kiss their food goodbye, they're starting to tolerate the taste and the texture on their lips. They may find this too difficult, in which case they could just try and feed it to a monster with their hands, or they may be able to crunch it, but might then need to spit the bits out and feed them to monster. The idea is that this game gives children the opportunity to explore different foods and textures they're unfamiliar with. There are several occupational therapists who've done lots of research and written books about this approach to learning to like food, and it's worth reading their books if this is something you find helpful. Another approach to helping children to like different foods is to, is where possible, trying small amounts of new things within the recipes you use. For example, creating a blended pasta sauce in which you try slightly different flavours of vegetables. Also, involving your child in cooking and preparing food is an excellent way to help them expand their diet. Several years ago, I worked with a young boy with Down syndrome who used to cook with me and then was more motivated and able to try the foods that he made. He didn't always like them, but it did help to expand his diet and to get him used to trying more new things. I've played the monster game with children in clinics several times and I found that it's had a really big impact on children's ability to try new foods. Trying to give as many opportunities for children to try new things in a pressure-free way, for example by having a help yourself plate in the middle of your dining table, or through doing messy play which actually is also edible, can help your children with expanding their diet. So those are the three things for today. Hopefully they've been helpful and will help support your child's eating. So movement, munching and monster. Thank you for listening to the Growing Hope podcast. To find out more about Growing Hope or to sign up to our monthly newsletter, go to our website, growinghope.org.uk.